Jones can rewrite the atomic composition of entire worlds! He can wipe out life on any planet he chooses! The man has lost his mind! The Federation, the Klingon Empire, the Romulan Empire, everyone has to respect Nova Fleet! Speaking of, I have an officer here who knows how to speak truth to power. Beckett, care to tell them what Starfleet's really like? Oh, uh, hey! What up, everyone? I have an important message for all you Lower Deckers out there. This guy sucks! What? He's an idiot and his plan is stupid! He's gonna get you all killed because he only cares about himself! <laughs> Somebody stop her! Transfer complete. Hello, and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton, choosing to focus my time on becoming your science bestie, Cam. <laughs> and we're here this week to talk about the season four finale of Lower Decks, Old Friends, New Planets. This was the uh, conclusion to the cliffhanger from the previous week. Now, Tyler, we had a lot of anticipation for this episode. We talked about what we'd like to see happen in this particular finale. Did it deliver for you? Um, kind of, sort of. Yeah, mostly. I, I, I'd say, you know, like it didn't, uh, it didn't wreck what the setup was. I, I think you and I had different ideas about maybe what Lucarno's journey was going to be going into this. And, uh, mm -hmm. I'd say overall, I was very happy when you look back on this season, what Mariner's arc ultimately turned out to be. And the question I have yeah. moving forward is what what is her character, you know, going into season five and beyond? You know, I don't think they want to just keep hitting the same sort of beats yet again and yet again and yet again. I think she she's definitely become just uh, <laughs> a far deeper character, uh, far much more layered and complicated than maybe, you know, somebody some of the other shows uh that like that a lot of the live action characters it's crazy yeah so so i'm curious to see them like explore that more and and i maybe was getting a little annoyed earlier on in the season because she kept you know rebelling against nothing as you know some people might say and you know i i obviously i thought that there's going to be a point behind that and so i i do like the idea that um you know like <laughs> Mariner's like, I, I'm not just some perpetual disgruntled lower deck looking to rebel, you know, in some independent fleet that uh, former classmate Nick Locarno of Nova Squadron uh, came <laughs> up with. Yeah, I, I thought this episode, it's interesting in that I am of the opinion, like, this episode for me is in one way a success. Like, I can totally understand anyone who is like, this paid off everything I wanted to see, but I also feel like it was a bit of a disappointment. In that, like, this was a very, very successfully told, engaging, action-packed finale that I think delivered a good, you know, conclusion to the Mariner arc of the season. It tied everything up in fairly, you know, good ends by the end. It had some really cool visuals and moments and some very funny lines. But at the same time, I was a little disappointed in that one of the things I said I really like about Lower Decks, and I mentioned this in the previous episode, was like, they would surprise me. They would come up with things like a solution to something or a direction for a story that would catch me off guard. And when this turned into basically like a Wrath of Khan riff, I just was like, really? Like, this is where we're going, huh? <laughs> the second time this year in the Star Trek universe, right? Yeah, I just thought, like, I, this was done well. Like, I thought as a Wrath of Khan homage to wrap up a season, this was done well. But was it what I wanted to see? Not really. I, I feel like we need to call a moratorium on tributes to the Rathacon at this point. Oh, I, I was thinking about that. Is I don't want Star Trek to keep doing very obvious, you know, tributes and homages to Rathacon. I, I want, you know, Lower Decks to be creating their own iconic sorts of deals that might be paid homage to in future years. But it's kind of, I don't know, it's like we saw this same homage in Picard season three, mm -hmm. you know, earlier this season, and that, that lasted an entire episode more so than just like five minutes here. I'm just kind of like, eh, get a little more creative folks, you know? And, but obviously like 
the team would have known that Picard was doing their own homage. And the Lower Decks team, uh, creative team, would have known that, especially since we had that uh, that screen grab last week showing that, you know, Beverly, Seven of Nine, Thomas Riker were all former, you know, Starfleet officers. And so, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm just... I, I, just like you, Cam, I, I, I wasn't quite blown away. I, I wasn't, like, shocked by any surprises or anything like that. It was mostly like... Like, I feel like this was indicative of the season as a whole. I was like, yeah, that was nice. Yeah, that that, that was fine. You know. It stuck the landing, and it did it in a way that was true to the spirit of Lower Decks and was really visually impressive at times and some clever bits here and there, but it didn't do it in a way where I thought, like, like, one of the things with Lower Decks I always kind of hoped would be, and we've gotten a sense of this in previous episodes of Lower Decks is that they're going to tackle Star Trek material at a different angle. Like, their solutions to a storyline are going to be different than what you would get in a live-action show. This kind of delivered what you would get in a live-action show, but just found ways to wedge in, you know, comedic beats you wouldn't get, but it still felt like, storytelling-wise, kind of tried-and-true stuff. Yeah, but... Yes, tried-and-true, but, like, I, I, I almost feel as if, like, the other live-action finales are doing something... Um, perhaps a little bit more interesting or just maybe a little bit more sense of scope, you know, going on where mm-hmm. even if it's like a, uh, a giant fleet of, um, hot Borg children taking over Starfleet <laughs> during, you know, Frontier Day, you know, like, um, that, that had some ambition, you know, and to me, like the sky's the limit in terms of the budget for Lord it's you know people it costs just as much to draw x and y as it you know like costs aren't such a prohibitive issue as they would be on a live action series but um so you can do like real cool amazing visual things here so i'm mostly just interested in what how they play within the universe and i guess here we've got um the Locarno Genesis planet moving forward. Like I assume that they're going to bring that back at some point, maybe season five or maybe mm-hmm. beyond or something like that. That's interesting, but I don't know. It's like, here's the deal. I am not like absolutely like revved up. Cannot wait to see what season five has in store at this point. That's kind of a bummer. Like I, you know, like I, I just remember uh, maybe the previous season, like we were revved up to see how they resolve, you know, Carol Freeman's, you know, trial. And they had a lot of fun with that. And like, guess what? The lower decks had nothing to do with getting Carol Freeman free. Like she went through her court case and she had really good lawyers and it all took place off screen. And (laughs) I I mean, that to me is funny that that's clever. You're, you're doing stuff within the Star Trek universe. That's unusual. You know, that you even got a Kelsey Grammer shout out in that, uh, season premiere, if, uh, season three, you know, and, and I just didn't beyond the two Vicks episode, I just didn't feel like my socks were knocked off this season at all. That episode you just mentioned, the, um, was it, I can't remember what they called it. Was it First First Contact? Whatever it was, the premiere of season three. Like, that was, I think, what I like from Lower Decks, which is, yes, they set up that Captain Freeman has been arrested, and everything the characters do throughout that entire half hour of television is completely irrelevant to what the solution is like that is i think funny but also a really inventive way to do a star trek story and that's kind of what i was hoping for with lacarno where i thought that is a really you know amazing concept to bring back nick lacarno and the fact you had um rutherford saying he looks just like tom paris and him and um you know boimler going back and forth about that like that was funny and i really thought they could do something really interesting with lacarno and I don't really think they did. They turned him mostly into kind of just a deranged villain. And, like, that was kind of it. I even thought he could be a really fun, ongoing, you know, villainous presence on the show. The way they did the Packlets in Season 1 and 2. I, I just had, I think, higher hopes because they were putting in so much work to establish, you know, Mariner's connection to Nova Squadron and setting up you know, we had a little bit of like a flashback to the events before First Duty in this. It felt like they were laying down the groundwork to do something more with that character versus just like Madman on a ship with a bomb. Yeah. So First First Contact was the season two finale, and that was immediately ah. followed by the season premiere of Grounded. But uh, yeah, 
Cam, I, I, why did Robert Duncan McNeil agree to like come back as Nick Lacarno if this is ultimately where that character was going? It just it didn't seem as if they brought the character into an interesting place or, you know, furthered his journey at all. It just made him seem like a real jerk in the end. And he always he just seemed to be a jerk, you know, from day one that we met him in uh, First uh, Duty. Is that just what Robert Duncan McNeil wanted to like firmly establish? Just like, yeah, this guy's always been a jerk and he always will be. I mean, I guess if you're contacted and they're like, we'll give you this chunk of money to play this obscure character from Star Trek, you're like, sure, sounds fun. Um, well, remember, like, Robert Beltran said no to appearing in season two of uh, Picard in the near, in the, not the mirror universe, the alt universe, I guess is what yeah. they're calling it there. You know, I'm just like, why would Robert Beltran say no to it? You know, like, it sounded fun, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he obviously had a good taste in that sense, because when we watched uh, the episode and that Seven's uh, husband character showed up on season two Picard, we weren't like, man, Beltran, what a fool to turn that one down. <laughs> well, it would have been fun, though, because, like, him being Seven's husband hmm. in an alternate reality after all the derision that relationship was looked upon upon uh the, the finale of voyager i don't know that to me just sounds kind of like fun it, you know yeah I, I know what you're saying it's not as if we're uh they had like this amazing part for him or anything like that maybe beltran just looked into the crystal ball and was like season two picard mm, no maybe i'm better to go with the uh underwatched critical darling instead <laughs> either way he would have been pulling paychecks that uh would have he just kind of left it on the table. And uh, I don't know if he's working that much in uh, like television, which would pay a little bit more than kind of like what, like regional theater that he might be doing. I think he lives in Arizona now or something. Does that sound right? That does sound right. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. But like going back to this, like, okay, so we get this. This is Locarno's journey. You know, uh, he, he, ha he spent an entire season, um, fomenting coups among lower deckers on other starships so mm -hmm. that he could build a big fleet of an independent fleet you know in the alpha quadrant that would not have to take orders from anyone that yes that was his plan that was his plan well, we we asked ourselves a couple of weeks ago is like well I, this better really pay off i mean is it a an amazing payoff? I don't really understand what the grand plan was with this new uh, anti-federation he was creating. And I, I did like that the characters, one of them said, like, uh, ever heard of the Maquis? But I did go, yeah. Has he heard of the Maquis? Like, what's, <laughs> what's the, like, what's the, the goal of this uh, independent federation? In which nobody takes orders. Yes. Like. I, I, yeah. And then they all just like <laughs> bailed on him. And I'm like, well, okay. Like, is them all bailing on him just underlining how like dumb his plan was? I don't know. I, I guess it could be seen that way. But usually at least give me the uh, villain giving the long monologue explaining what his plot is so I can go, oh, okay. Like simple people like me sometimes need that. We need our Bond villains to explain what they're doing with the hollowed out volcano. And if you are going to float independent federation to me, go that extra step further and explain to, to me exactly what they plan to do with this. Is that, do they just want to explore the way that Starfleet does? I don't know. I, I don't know. This all just feels like kind of a missed opportunity here. You know, bringing back Robert Duncan McNeil to play Nick Locarno sounds on paper like, you know, you could do some interesting things there, but I just don't think they succeeded in doing so. And I don't know. It's kind of a bummer. Like I would have much rather seen, uh, you know, like, uh, tom Riker mm. come back uh you know in the finale you know like that would have been fun for whatever reason it was teased that tom Riker is alive so maybe we get tom Riker in the next season or something but yeah I, I just i really had hopes that they were going to take an angle with nick lacarno that i wouldn't see coming and going the mustache twirling route is the most predictable route you could have gone so that was kind of a bummer i guess though like the reason i'm not like, I don't dislike this episode, and I did enjoy watching it, is that yeah, yeah, it was all the little elements they built in around it. Like, giving that flashback, you know, for First Duty, tying that to Mariner, I really enjoyed that stuff. I like just seeing Nick Locarno back on Star Trek 
and kind of like filling in those little details. The fact that they got Shannon Phil to come back and voice Aceto Jaxa, and like she hasn't acted in anything since like 1995. Like that was really fun to see. And then of course you had Will Wheaton as well, but I was more impressed by Shannon Phil, quite frankly. I'm sure she's no Robert Beltran. You know, she's happy to take the uh, the money sitting on the table there. Yeah, I mean, she hasn't worked since the TV movie Deceived by Trust, a Moment of Truth movie. Oh, you know, Cam, you're spoiling it. That's what we're going to be reviewing <laughs> next week on uh, the podcast now that uh, Lower Deck Season 4 is wrapped up. <laughs> she was also in a movie called The Source of Suction, co-starring Alexander Enberg, who played Vorik on ah. Star Trek. I don't know what that's about, okay. but I'm not going to dig any deeper. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to do a double feature for the podcast. <laughs> there you go. Off yeah. season. <laughs> so, uh, okay, well, let me ask you this. Uh, you said that you kind of liked the, the comments about how he liked uh, Tom Paris and uh, how Nick Locarno looked like Tom Paris and all that. What if somebody's never seen Voyager and what if they've never seen The First Duty? And so you've just got like Rutherford and Boimler talking about whether or not he looks like tom paris and it's just kind of like uh, i don't know like like i know this show is meant for like the the hardcore fans but yeah it's just one like from for, from a comedic perspective there's so much room for this to just not make sense to anybody yeah i mean i definitely thought of my sister who's been watching this season when i was watching this and i did bring this up in the in the pr last week's episode when we talked about that as well and that like this all depended on you having knowledge of in particular first duty because it's not like they i mean i guess you had like um ransom explain what happened in first duty you know drop the exposition bomb in this one but it doesn't mean you're going to have any sort of emotional payoff to it you understand maybe logically what's going on but you don't know who cedo jaxa is you don't understand the arc of that character or like the emotion attached to that and then obviously the same with nick lacarno so I think it like you would watch it and be able to go, okay, I understand what they're telling me, but right. it doesn't work on an emotional level. And one of the things I always hope with this show is like build in your Easter eggs for the hardcores, like give them the moments to like point at the screen, like Leonardo DiCaprio and go, Oh my God. Or, you know, the captain America, I understood that reference. Like that should be like more the Easter eggs or even just like a funny, small supporting character that is not driving story. When it involves like someone who's a primary story element or an emotional hook of an episode or something along those lines, I think it should be something that anyone can kind of understand or grasp. Well, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like the the Easter egg should be more like throwaways, you know, like throwaway lines, you know. When you had Susan uh, Susan Gibney show up as Leah Brahms in the hallucination uh, in the episode from last season, the Minds Minds uh, episode, like it's there for what, like. 15 seconds or something that's fine like the diehards get it it doesn't really matter if it flies over your head but yeah when you're gonna build an entire two episode arc around nick lacarno and the events of first duty <laughs> uh, that's a, that's a tougher ask well let me ask you this what, what if this character was voiced by um i don't know uh uh john ham and his name was mick lashnarno <laughs> and you know like and you and i would be watching this episode in a different way because it's it's an entirely different character that we have no prior connection to whereas we did know who nick lacarno was we did know that he's you know voiced by robert duncan mcneil we did know that it, I, mean, I mean it's this is taking inspiration from one of the best episodes of next generation and that has yet another kind of emotional shorthand with uh, the hardcore members of the audience you know but if you've got mick you know on screen I, I, does this episode work to the degree that it did for us, despite some of our uh, <laughs> our criticisms? Well, if it's like Mick, it, you have to do a lot more legwork in building up a backstory. Like, they were able to kind of take, I don't know that I want to say the lazy way, but they didn't have to explain a whole lot to the diehards. And they could settle this episode just on the shoulders of you understanding it because you've watched those episodes. If you remove not only the um, the casuals from picking up on what's going on, but also the diehards, you have to then spend even more time explaining the importance of uh, Mick Lasharno or whatever his name is. Yeah, and, but and then I ultimately think that this character kind of came off as like one dimensional uh, by the time we got to the end of this journey here. Oh, he was very one dimensional. Yeah, you know, but like over the course of three episodes, you know, yeah, I I, I think. 
we can <laughs> definitively say that Nick Locarno is not a particularly compelling character, despite being um, portrayed by uh, a pretty charismatic actor. Yeah, uh, justice for Nick Locarno did not arrive. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess like it ties off a loose end, but I do think it would have been fun to do something a little more interesting. Um, but speaking of doing things more interesting, you mentioned... Um, not being particularly compelled about the next season. And I didn't think it was particularly interesting, the whole Tendi having to leave the ship and having that moment of going, you've got this, and narrowing her eyes and walking away. I'm like, I know that what they want is to have me on the edge of my seat being like, what does that mean? What's going to happen? And maybe it's just a sign that the Orion Tendi stuff hasn't been clicking with me quite as strongly as it should. I just was left going, okay, how many episodes till she's back on the ship? Probably one. Yeah. That's my guess. Uh, I would think so. Again, like it it didn't feel like this giant, you know, cliffhanger that's going to alter the course of lower decks as we know it, you know? And um, as you said, the the, the Orion stuff uh, this season really didn't work for me. That that first appearance of Derica, I was just like, remember how like, she was on screen for 30 seconds and then the sisters resolve all of their issues through uh the classic uh uh, tell don't show thing that we seem to get uh a lot in new era star trek Mm -hmm. um and also cam (laughs) this whole like we have to go to orion to get like a giant battle ship yeah to go save mary it just it's a, it, it was just so arbitrary to me, like from a storytelling perspective. I mean, it's fun to watch Dr. Meekly Mo like have to like get, get, get into like some sort of like battle, you know, like uh, that's funny. But guess what? If um, Derica is saying to Freeman, now turn over your command codes. Do you know what I would have done? I would have been like, uh, Freeman, uh, five to beam up right now. Like, I would have just taken off. Yeah. You know, what are you like, going to do? I, like, like, really, what are you going to yeah. do to us? Yeah, exactly. I'm like. Like, you pinky swore, I'm going to tell the Federation president and you're going to have to give it... Uh, sorry, like, no. Yeah. So it's just kind of like the the, the the Orion stuff in this episode didn't necessarily work for me that much either, you know? I appreciated that they paid off what they've been setting up through the season somewhat and that we've had a lot of Orion stuff and bringing Derica into the finale, it didn't feel as clunky to me as, say, like when um Saru's sister Serana showed up in like a fighter ship. <laughs> at the end of season two discovery and i'm like what is happening help farmers to the rescue <laughs> we've mastered space travel like that was truly yeah. insane when that happened yeah. um it was only a small moment but it was insane this made this made sense to me not necessarily that they would have to run to the orions for a solution to the problem but i'm like okay like if they want to pay off the uh, derica story this is okay um I even really thought it was funny that they had to do the combat uh, bargaining and having Miglimo, who I think it was a real touch of genius on the part of the animators, and that all these scenes where they're walking around with Miglimo, he's just like chewing on birdseed and looking very nonchalant, and I kept noticing it, and it was making me like laugh. (laughs) And then when they suddenly pointed at him, it was even funnier because they just had him stand out in the crowd so many different moments. That I just thought that was very clever. I don't know that the solution, like, of him causing allergies was quite as funny, but I did laugh when, like, the allergies are working and then the uh, combatant collapses on him and you just see him, like, tapping out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and I did like the animation when uh, they were passing by, you know, like, Shaxx and uh, and Ransom and the, uh, oh, what's security officer's, uh, officer's name? Is it, like, Kalen or? I'm oh, Kayshawn? But, uh. Kayshawn, yeah. And like them just like kind of cracking their knuckles, getting ready. Like I I like the animation there. That that was good, you know. Yeah, and I did love the Rutherford line, no can do, Tendy two. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, no, there were some one liners that I enjoyed. You know, like uh Lucarno, you know, looking at the Genesis device and realizing that the Ferengis put a paywall on it. Brilliant. And, um that that was brilliant, you know. Um Yeah, like like uh oh, and then um you know, three binars. Can you have three binars? You know, when they're making reference to the trinar. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, there's some fun stuff going on. I I laughed at, at points. 
Yeah. Even even bringing back the um the Samuel Clements holodeck negotiation <laughs> strategy and having uh, Freeman go, I don't understand why this works. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> that's a question for the ages. But like, if they keep going back to that, um, I don't mind because <laughs> it's so stupid. Yeah, it's like it's like dumb comedy, which I, I I'm a sucker for as well. And I don't know, uh, you like doing your Samuel Clemens voice as well, so I I don't think you mind. No, not at all. And to me, I think like also the beauty of that is that it is like the diehards understand that from Time Zero. They immediately understand the joke. But I actually think that would still play if you'd never watched that episode. Because it's so deranged. It's deranged. It's silly. It just feels like so absurd that I think, yeah, like it just works. Having characters you like speak in these very <laughs> cartoonish accents and everything and exchange these bizarre back and forth like i think that is really good comedy writing and i more things like this please yeah also even locarno commenting on the lack of uh starfleet carpets and wood paneling on his <laughs> uh ship there you know that, that's fun stuff although I, I i was a little confused okay so like freeman as far as she knows you know her daughter's been kidnapped then she sees confirmation that you know on the view screen that uh she is alive and she calls out mariner you know, in mm. exclamation. And so, Cam, that'd be like your mom finding out you're alive uh, after thinking that maybe you could be in danger. And she calls out Smith. <laughs> like, um, and there needs to be a little bit more affection in that uh, Freeman Mariner family, right? Well, yeah. Uh, we haven't seen the dad play like a significant role in a while. We need to bring bring him back for like an episode or so. He was in this episode, though. Yeah, but it was more in like a... It, it was not a particularly emotionally driven scene. View screen appearance. Yeah. No, it, it's like uh, when uh, Admiral... Uh, oh, who is the Admiral? Uh, Admiral Forrest on uh, Enterprise would pop in on the view screen uh, about 10 times a year. Yeah. And it wasn't like he was getting a ton to do in those view screen appearances. Like, it wasn't really developing the character. No, it was more just establishing the stakes of a plot or something like that. Like, it wasn't character-driven stuff. And... I used to enjoy when they would have a little more of the the d family dynamic by having the father there for just a scene or something. They haven't they haven't done that in a while. I'm kind of surprised. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's going to be some more family dynamics with uh with Tendi and Derica. Yeah. Next season, I'm just like I don't know. I, uh, going back to what you said, it's just like yeah. I just I think that moment maybe fell a little bit more flat than what the uh, the creators were going for. Not as strong as. Freeman being arrested or of um, the reveal of William Boimler, just moments like that, I think, stand out much more so in terms of setting up a mystery that I go, oh, like, I actually want to see what happens with that. We never did get uh, an appearance from a new Section 31 recruit, William Boimler, this season. No, no, we didn't. I actually, that's one thing I give this show credit for is that they don't rush into paying off teases. They come at their own pace. Like, they set up Badgie, you know, being alive a while back. And it was several episodes before we got payoff to that. Same with, like, the peanut hamper stuff. Like, they took their time. And a lot of shows will just rush into it in the next episode or two. I think Lower Decks has been very confident in saying, we know that the fans are there. They're going to, you know, sit through whatever stories we give them and be happy when they finally get payoff. But we're going to give that payoff properly. Well, uh, was this a better reappearance of uh, Wesley than what we got in Star Trek Picard Season 2? That is a very difficult question to answer. Because <laughs> uh, in terms of <laughs> the mythology of Star Trek and giving us some little nuggets to do with First Duty, you know, this is obviously superior storytelling. But the Wesley appearance in Season 2 Picard is such a fever dream of insane people writing something that makes absolutely no sense that it has achieved its own special <laughs> iconic status in my mind that looms... Like, if you ask me the all-time Wesley moments that pop to my mind, I think I'm going to remember season two Picard like for a long, long, long time. I may be on my deathbed one day remembering the meeting of him and Corey Soong. I agree. I agree. You know, well, not the deathbed part, Cam. Uh, <laughs> I've lived a, 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 
a fulfilling life uh, filled with friends and family up until this point. So I don't know if um, that moment's going to be there. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I just don't know if the uh, the lower decks moment with Wes added much, you know, to that character's mythology. Whereas um, yeah, the, the season two finale of Picard, I'm like, okay, well, I I guess I understand about you know Wesley's journey and. <laughs> Doesn't mean I need to uh, be happy with where his journey is taking this fifty-four-year-old man into, like, um, trying to find a twenty-year-old girlfriend. But uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. this one just felt like to me. I was actually a little surprised that they got Will Wheaton. I, I mean, it makes sense they would offer it, but he wasn't necessarily essential because it's only a line or two. It was much more important for the Locarno and even um, Cedo Jaxa character to have them voiced by their original actors but will was basically there just to kind of fill out the the you know collection of characters people would have been annoyed or disappointed if like he like they're having that flashback to that particular moment in in star trek lore and you know will wheaton wasn't part of it exactly and who knows maybe going forward we can have some sort of episode where we find out there is maybe a little more of a connection between Mariner and Wesley. We can have flashbacks now to this time period, and who knows, maybe there's a scene that could pay off in, like, a proper Will Wheaton appearance on the show in the future. Like, who knows what Wesley's up to at the time of this uh, timeline. Yeah, I I mean, uh, it gets confusing, because this takes place after Nemesis. Yeah. At Lower Decks. And didn't we see Wesley? Because I keep... I, I forget if I'm confabulating, like deleted scenes with what actually ends up in the finished project project but wasn't wesley featured like you could see him in the background of the wedding at like riker and troy's wedding like he's like what he's at like a table wearing a starfleet uniform that's right yeah and there's the scene that was cut where he actually has an exchange with i think jean Luc, but that is not in the finished film we've just seen that scene before but yeah he is seen sitting at a table so in a starfleet uniform Yes. And, and I so I think the implication is like maybe he had a little fun with you know the traveler for a little bit and then <laughs> came back and joined Starfleet for a little bit and by the time you know we're in the year 2501 or I'm sorry 2401 um uh, he's back doing traveling things. Yes. Yeah, like Starfleet didn't take. Okay. <laughs> uh he yeah, Nick Lacarno tried to recruit him, and uh, <laughs> that that sent Wesley back into uh, the the arms of the Traveler. <laughs> That'll happen. And something else, this episode answered that I think you and I had, had questions about figuring out Mariner's age. Yeah, because like this would put her, I believe, in her early thirties. I think. Yeah. Yeah. She'd be. Let's say she she's a first year cadet, although she had two bars on her cadet's uniform. So that that kind of confused me. But let's say when we saw that moment, uh, let's round up. Let's say she was 20 during the flashback, mm-hmm. which was 13 years ago. She's 33 now. Yeah. Okay. So that would mean that she's, you know, 32, 33 in the crossover episode in Strange New Worlds. And how old is um Tawny Newsom again? Like, she's in her 40s, but I just forget if she just turned 40 or if she's maybe a couple years. Either way, she definitely looks like she's in her 20s. But, you know, I need to get whatever skincare products uh, she's on. Like, that's <laughs> yeah, for sure. She's right around my age, and I'm 42, going to be 43 in a couple days. So, yeah, it, it maybe a year or so younger than me. I can't remember. But, yeah, right around that kind of point. So, yeah. You uh, really are trying to get the listeners to uh, send you birthday <laughs> gifts right now, aren't you? It's a, it'll be Folks. too late by the time they hear this, I think. So. Well, it's November 5th, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. it comes out. This episode comes out on November 5th. So, well, okay. you got a few hours till midnight, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Venmo him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, okay. Um, okay, so I like Mariner's journey throughout this season. Uh, uh, Boimler, what was his journey throughout this season? I, I think it was just Boims being Boims, and I was okay with that. And he had like a cool hero moment in the captain's seat at the end. I was okay with Boims just being Boims throughout this season. Like, um, it, it, like it didn't irk me the way that, you know, Tendi 
jumping over to the science division in season three and like them not really commenting on it whatsoever or doing anything interesting with her being in science you know yeah uh that kind of irked me in in season three but uh yeah and i guess we did get more from rutherford in season three as well with his backstory being filled out uh him uh him uh previously being very much a locarno-esque character in his past as was revealed in season three of lower decks you know yeah i'm okay with some of these characters just you know being their characters for the sake of it but i, I what i didn't like going in or some parts of season four was mariner kind of backsliding on some of the growth that she had in previous seasons and look i i think it paid off here by the time we got to the end of this one i agree like i was at times thinking like boy we just haven't done a lot with boimler in this season or the previous season it felt like that character, I don't want to say was static, because I think we got little bits of growth from him, but it didn't feel like we got a really interesting arc for the character over the course of the last couple seasons. I think they have to get back to that next season. I was happy, ultimately, with the Mariner arc. The Mariner arc made me nervous at points during the season, like it was kind of falling back into patterns for that character I'm not as big on, but the fact that they seemed self-aware of that and paid it off in an interesting way clicks with me, so I go, okay, cool. I didn't need to be apprehensive during the season but it feels like next season we did a lot with tendy this season as well so i think next season we'll have payoff to tendy but we should get back to boimler and give him i think probably a proper arc next season as well as i think we need to do something a little more elaborate with talin who was i think a lot of fun in some sporadic appearances this season but i think it's time to maybe give her a proper arc next season yeah, I'm down for more Tillin in this one. I, I think back, like, is the most prominent Boimler episode the one where she was micromanaging the away team and he kept having to lift those tubes on that planet that was going through ecological disaster? Was that his most prominent episode? Yeah, um, I think it was. And for me, that's Boimler's worst habits coming out. And so it wasn't as if I love that, you know, uh, particular B story that Boimler was up to in that one there. I didn't love the A story in that one either. That was the one where yeah. it was like the 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 like what was it? The like the friendly computer planet that went down or something. Like it was not yeah. a very good episode. Freeman kept screwing up with the computer and I, I don't know. Yeah, it was <laughs> it wasn't a great one there. No. And so like to me, I don't where do you think we could see Boimler go? Because we had like a really great moment of him as acting captain in this episode. We got to see Bold Boimler on the bridge. Where do you think they go with this character? Well, think about what happened to uh, uh, to Tilly when uh, she was acting captain uh, for an episode, for a, a finale, mm. uh, nonetheless, you know, in that Star Trek Discovery, and subsequently lost, <laughs> lost the ship uh -huh. um, to an Orion, no less. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they... And they essentially had to write her out of the series the next season <laughs> because of that. Like, they acknowledged, like, how she looked like a complete idiot and probably has, like, little career chances on that ship moving forward. So she's like, you know what? I'm going to go teach the kids in Starfleet Academy the ways of Starfleet 900 years ago. <laughs> well, like, this just introduces a diversion here. What do you think they're going to do with Tilly in the next season, the final season of Star Trek Discovery? Because it seems like she's going to be more prominent. But, like, what do you do with that character at this point? Well, what do you do with Saru at this point as well, where he's like a <laughs> captain and he's still hanging out on the Discovery. And then Tilly is like an instructor at Starfleet. And But, I mean, I, I don't know. We had a lot of Admiral Vance in the prior two seasons as well. And, uh, you know, so because, you know, discovery can just zap on back to starfleet headquarters whenever it feels like you know so i mm -hmm. i don't know but the, i didn't think saru's journey was particularly interesting last season you know and um i mean well maybe there's some interesting things going on with him and the uh the navari president you know that's but, the best part but what else was there <laughs> i can't think of anything um other than he was translating like messages for species 10c before uh book and what was the uh mad scientist tarkin um kind of screwed things up at tarka tarka yeah <laughs> he's not a grand moff my, no. my apologies no yeah <laughs> grand moffs uh -huh. don't hide under tables <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i can't my story i will watch the final two season four episodes of discovery before mm. we go 
to the uh, season five premiere. But beyond that, I can't I can't imagine myself ever rewatching season four of Discovery. No, uh, <laughs> I I can't imagine a world where I would sit and rewatch season four Discovery. Like I'm with you. Like I could imagine watching like the finale, for example, just for renewed context going into the next season. But in terms of going through that, like. 12 or 13 episode journey again to discover 10c not a chance in hell well i'll, I'll say that the penultimate episode is actually like is a good star trek episode um hmm. you know but so that's why i'd watch rewatch the penultimate episode as well as the finale and it was a pretty terrible finale and i think i'm blurring the two what was the penultimate versus the finale so uh the penultimate is when they actually made contact with species 10c and right. they were able to figure out how they communicate through pheromones and colors and all that. And I was like, okay, well, this is Star Trek being Star Trek. This is this is good. And then you just jump into pew, 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 shoot them up because there's a misunderstanding and we're going to blow everything up in the season finale. And I was just like, oh, God, been there, done that. That's right. And didn't it have yeah. all the cutaways to, like, Tilly on the station, like, pressing buttons? Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the station that... <laughs> Can also fly at warp speed. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Sure. Okay. It's coming back to me. And then Tarka dying, quote unquote. You know. Or did he? Yeah. Like uh, mysteriously. And you, I, I couldn't tell. Like that's how inept. Like a lot of the uh, staging is on, on Discovery, where it's like, I couldn't tell if they want me to just have the ambiguous like whatever happened to Tarka, we may never know, or they were setting up a mystery that I'm supposed to care about. I have no idea. Yeah, but honestly, like, I think they wanted to leave it ambiguous so you could make whatever of it as you would. Mm -hmm. And I think they realized they had, like, a good actor doing some interesting things, at least for the first half of the season, until they... I just hate it when, like, characters are driven by stupidity. Yeah. Like, their motivation is being stupid and not just stepping back and thinking about things, you know? No, I mean, I guess Discovery kind of committed the sin <laughs> with Tarka that this season of Lower Decks did, I think, with Nick yeah. Locarno. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was more satisfying. I'm much happier with the way they resolved the Locarno story, but it still felt like you could have done a lot more and you kind of fell short. And I felt Tarka, it was way more frustrating because we had several episodes and we had some genuinely powerful, dramatic stories with Tarka, like especially the one where we found out his backstory being in prison with his, you know... Um, his friend, like that episode really clicked. And so you were like, okay, yeah. I understand the emotional inner life of this character. I didn't really understand the emotional inner life of Locarno in this two-parter, which maybe works to its benefit because I don't feel as, you know, hurt by the fact that they didn't do anything beyond kind of big con ripoff villain stuff. With Tarka, you really felt like you were being built up to something special in an antagonist on Discovery. And it did not deliver. Like, I remember being so annoyed with what they did with the Orion villain in season three, uh, played by, was it Margot Kidder's niece? Who, I think, was it Janet Kidder, I think? Yeah. Um, like, they just did nothing interesting whatsoever. And I was like, oh, they do better, do better Discovery. And it's kind of like they wandered towards doing better and then retreated at the very, you know, at the finish line. Oh, don't forget, they, they had a special cameo from failed Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams oh, uh, yeah, yeah. as the president of Earth uh, for whatever reason. I'm <laughs> just like, and nothing made me laugh harder than when um, uh, Wilson Cruz was doing interviews and he was talking about how like the crew, uh, as in like the behind the scenes crew filming the show, they were in absolute awe that Stacey Abrams was in set, uh, on set. Hmm. And in my head, I'm like, they're shooting the show in Toronto. Like, these <laughs> Canadians don't know who Stacey Abrams is, nor do they care. And, like, for him to say, like, everybody was in awe. Cam, like, you knew that she wasn't an actress, but when, like, she appeared, like, on screen, like, like you you had no clue. Like, you don't know who Stacey Abrams is, right? Uh, I didn't at the time, no. Yeah. So, um, uh, so to me, I was just like... It was just so out of left field. And I remember, I'll say this, like, um, I did not expect to see her on Star Trek. And then I was just like, this is weird. This is just a weird season, man. <laughs> like, and the way that they filmed it, it was with just such awe. And I was yeah. like, okay, but it's like, 
like I, I, I don't know. Like, like she, she's a bit of a more like polarizing figure in, in politics. Mm. And, and, and like I, like, like I'm a journalist, so I, I follow current events, and so I knew who she was. And I was just like, wow, that's that's something there that uh, you creators of Discovery have decided to do. Like, okay, <laughs> like sure. <laughs> I would love to talk to the Canadian crew about that one. <laughs> You know, it's like, I don't know, what would it be as if uh, <laughs> they're shooting a, a, a TV show down in the United States and they're like, oh my gosh, do you know who's on set? It's the uh, former leader of the uh, conservative party, uh, Aaron O'Toole. He's on <laughs> set, people. Oh my gosh, look at him go. <laughs> it's like, eh. Okay, <laughs> what's the over under here? Of the crew of Star Trek Discovery who were informed that this cameo was happening, do you think over or under 50% went to Wikipedia? Like the entire, like maybe, we're talking like maybe 200 people, right? Yeah. Oh, I would say 90%. Or maybe even more like 95. Oh, wow. Or, or, yeah. But there's also, there are also people that just didn't care. Yeah. They're like, Stacey who? Of course. And just go on, go on their day, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't think the average Canadian knows or cares who Stacey Abrams is. No, no. Uh, I even remember like uh, when I worked in community television uh, and I would have been in my mid-20s, I suppose, early to mid, and we had Paul Martin, the then uh, Prime Minister of Canada, appear on the show. Uh, I was not in awe, Tyler. I was not throwing my, myself at this man's feet. Can I put you on the spot cam right now yeah. uh, to uh, potentially uh, embarrass you? Uh-oh. Well, go for it. Sure. Who who's the leader of the official opposition uh, uh, in Ottawa right now? Oh, who's the leader of the Conservative Party? Oh my God, I'm blanking, and I do know this. It starts with a P. Okay, okay. It starts with a P, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, oh my right, God. Right. Oh, you interviewed him. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yes, I, I, I did. Yeah. Oh my, is it? You're gonna say it, and it'll immediately click. And if you'd asked me on a different day, I would have immediately known, and I'm totally blanking. This is embarrassing. It's a French name. I, is it? It's not Pierre, is it? Yeah, his first name's Pierre. Yep. So you got that. Yep. Yeah. It's the last name that I'm totally stumbling on, and it starts with a P. Okay, dude, you 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 are acquitting yourself quite well um, in this little exercise designed to uh, uh, <laughs> humiliate. humiliate me. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, Pierre Pouliot yes. is the uh, leader of the uh, federal conservative party there. So I kept thinking Pol Pot, and I'm like, that ain't right. <laughs> that ain't right at all. <laughs> Okay, so for all our listeners interested about Stacey Abrams and Pierre Polyev, we've got a bonus episode coming up. Uh, <laughs> dives right into that. Yeah, but um, overall, camp this season, um, I don't know, is fine. I, I just wonder if, look, if I wasn't podcasting about it week to week, mm. I probably would have enjoyed this season more because I would not have had to think so critically about what the what episode to episode is trying to accomplish here. I, I could have just kind of kicked my feet up and been like. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. That was fun. You know, but this, I was just, I, I kept asking myself, like, what, what is this episode trying to say? And what is it trying to do within the Star Trek universe? And I just kept coming away feeling like a little meh, uh, you know, or as you said uh, a couple of weeks ago, like, uh, whelmed. Yeah, like, I thought this was perfectly enjoyable <laughs> middle of the road lower decks for most of this season. Uh, I, I never felt like it was a chore in any way to sit through a single episode of this season. It just didn't feel like it was as inspired. It When you're doing the podcast, you have to kind of have content. And some of the episodes, I was like, oh boy, like this one just doesn't give me a whole lot to kind of dive into. It's like, um, you remember back in the day when you had Friends and Seinfeld on Thursday nights? And those were like the big shows on TV. And then there'd be something slotted at 8.30. And it wasn't necessarily a bad show. Like, I remember watching yeah. episodes of The Single Guy, for example, with Jonathan yeah. Silverman, yeah. and enjoying that show. And Joey Slotnick. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it holds up well, but at the time, I enjoyed it. It was kind of a, a light chuckle in between some of my favorite shows on the air. And imagine if I'd had to do a podcast on Single Guy episodes. Like... <laughs> I'd be like, well, that was a, you know, a fun little half hour. Oh, I need to uh, do a podcast episode diving into the themes of the episode. Like, yeah. I just want Lower Decks to give me a little more to hook into because they have in the past. Yeah. It just felt like this season, it felt like it was a little, 
kind of like resting on their laurels a little bit. Like they kind of know their strengths and it didn't feel like they were pushing themselves as much as maybe they did some other seasons. Star Trek Lower Decks, the single guy of the Star Trek universe. Well, no, if you're going to compare it to other Star Trek shows, that's where things get changed up a little bit because I feel like, uh, yeah. you know, it's probably like one of the best shows on television if you compare it to some of the other Star Trek shows. Yeah. Look, I, I still had way more fun podcasting about this week to week than I did uh, Discovery Season 4. Like, Oh, um, yeah. I, the, the fact that we had to stop podcasting about Discovery Season 4 week to week, mm. um, that really tells you something. And we never, we were never once inclined to stop podcasting about uh, Lower Decks week to week. And I don't, I, I don't think we ever will. No. You know, because let's say the show even goes completely off the rails. I think that means we're going to have a lot to discuss about what's going on, just like we did with um, Season 2 of Picard, where you and I never discussed the possibility that we would stop podcasting Season 2 of Picard because the show is just going so deranged and out there and nonsensical we were just like well we have to we have to dive into this whereas Discovery season four was just so boring yeah it was so utterly boring that we were like I don't I have nothing to say yeah I would like for example like the this week's episode of Lower Decks I have uh just over three quarters of a page uh of notes and that's single spaced you know lined paper standard lined paper there would be episodes of Discovery Season 4 where I would have, like, five lines. Because <laughs> it would yeah. be all exposition. And I'd be like, well, I don't need to write any of this down because I have been following the season. And then I'd get to the end and be like, well, there was, like, three character moments and maybe, like, two teases or something. Your five lines were, who is Stacey Abrams? Who is Stacey <laughs> Abrams? Who is Stacey Abrams? <laughs> well, that, yeah, that was my finale notes, basically, in a nutshell. I did have a question for you that you really have no way to answer. <laughs> But it's kind okay. of like, you. it just kind of popped in my head from what you said. You mentioned Lower Decks going off the rails. Lower Decks will probably have a couple more seasons left in it. Uh, at least one more season, because we're going into season five. Do you think this show will ever, like, drop off the way long-running shows used to? Or do you think we're going to have, like, episodes that are just like a lot of what this season was till the end... And then, you know, it'll end long before back in the days you'd have 10 seasons where things had just gone completely insane, like Family Matters, for example. You know, with the Urkel bots. Yeah. Stefan Urkel actually became, like, a main character on the show. And it's just like, huh. Yeah, and there was, like, time travel and all that stuff, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I would say that there is no Lower Decks without creator Mike McMahon. Mm -hmm. And I think he's going to keep to his you know creative sensibilities and so i i don't see the show going off the rails you know like i see the show going off the rails if they uh fire mike mcmahon and hire that co-creator of rick and morty who uh just got fired uh, and uh yeah you know and maybe that that's when the show goes off the rails when they introduce completely different uh comedic sensibilities and storytelling sensibilities. And, and maybe it's just somebody that doesn't give a crap about Star Trek. And you can tell Mike McMahon loves this universe. Or they bring the um, writing team of Discovery on to handle the comedy of Lower Decks. <laughs> I can't wait for, for all the, the, the tears. People, these are tears of laughter. <laughs> you know what? I'm in favor of this, actually. Now that I think about this, I want an episode maybe, like, can we do like an event a Star Trek event where like the writers teams switch for an episode of each of the shows and we could have the discovery team write an episode of lower decks and we could have the lower decks team write an episode of strange new worlds and so on and so forth. I would be amazed by that. You know, it's almost their version of kind of a, a crossover, but it's just a crossover between the writers, you know, uh, I'm trying to think about the comedy. Well, well, what's the funniest moment on uh discovery camp? Okay. What's your favorite comedy moment like i know there's the ones that are gonna pop out as like the ones that were intended to be funny like i think of like um well that's what i'm asking that's I, i'm asking that specific one but sure give me throw something to me uh that you thought was hilarious but maybe unintentionally as well well there's is it the season three premiere where you have um burnham like whacked out on gas or something like that right yeah whatever it was like she was like high yeah and, like, that is the show trying to write comedy. And it was, like, very yeah. broad and over the top. I guess they would have, like, funny quips. Like, there was 
some actual funny moments with Jet Reno, Stamets, and Tarka, and what have you. And like those characters, especially Stamets and Jet Reno, bouncing off each other. There's been genuinely funny moments. So I guess I would say yeah. that's the successful stuff. Absolutely. Um, for me, the funniest unintentional moment, uh, there's no competition. It was when they were watching uh, Young Edison. <laughs> And and deranged laughter <laughs> ensued from the crew. I, I'm like, I was like, they're maniacal. Like, what, what, uh, what are they? Are they on the same like gaseous like drugs that uh, that uh, Burnham was taking in season three uh, premiere? Like, I, it was just such a bizarre moment. Like, like oh, the Buster Keaton stuff. Yeah, yeah, it is so poorly directed as well. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> like that was. Uh pretty terrible i guess also um mirror joe had funny moments like when it was yeah. character specific quips actually discovery was not bad it was when they tried to write like wacky comedy moments for example like the the uh card playing in all in where it's like book and burnham and like a lot of mugging at the camera kind of stuff like that's not it doesn't click but when it's actually character specific they're okay yeah uh okay so Strange New Worlds gave us like a, a lot of good comedy episodes as well, but mm-hmm. uh, you know they also gave us the musical episode. Do you think if Discovery wanted to do its own sort of analog, would it have to be a dancing episode where the crew starts dancing uncontrollably? Uh, I, I I don't know that I'm against it at this point. Um, Just based on all the bloopers, yeah, from the Discovery uh, Blu-rays. That's it's all bloopers. Like the crew is a that's every every like Blu-ray I buy that has those stupid blooper reels, whether it be Marvel movies or anything else. It's always just people dancing for the camera. I'm like, okay, we get it, we get it. Well, Cam, in all fairness, all of our bloopers, it's just us <laughs> dancing, <laughs> just you and me. Which is really sad because it's remote recording as well. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when we were doing YouTube videos and I edited together? Um... Like, uh, we were commenting on the Blu-ray for Discovery, and we were talking about how it was just filled with all that nonstop dancing. And then, like, there's a shot of me that I edited in of uh, that video of me from a couple years ago that I uh, – it was, like, me dancing, uh, I think in, like, Las Vegas at the convention. And then you said uh, what was going through your head. It was like, okay, well, Tyler's got that. I, I certainly know that there's nothing uh, – <laughs> There's no video of me that he can squeeze in there. And I managed to find a video of you dancing at one of our friend's birthday parties. Uh, I think you were trying to imitate like a, uh, oh, what were they, uh, that, that children's show called? Oh, was, oh, uh, um, oh, uh, Teletubbies? Yeah, you, yeah, you're doing your best impression of a Teletubby <laughs> by dancing. And so I edited that into the video and put it on YouTube. And you got thousands of people watching you dance like a Teletubby. And I never asked for your permission to do that. I remember seeing it and being like, I don't remember this. <laughs> I honestly think it was in like 2014 or something. It was like, it was a lot. And I think I had been sitting on that video clip for years without sharing because i wanted to find the most opportune time so i figured yeah. I'd, I'd show it publicly on youtube for everyone to see this is why we were very lucky to grow up when we did when there was not wall-to-wall cameras uh well my parents have some like home videos of me sure. that are just so embarrassing i'm just like oh good god but yeah like you said like you mentioned kids nowadays with like their entire lives are being documented yeah and your friends are filming things at all times and uh yeah like going through like awkward teenage years and all that stuff, brutal, just brutal. I never had those awkward teenage years, so I'll <laughs> I'll have to defer to you. Just awkward adult years that continue <laughs> to this day. I've got yeah, forty three years under my belt of awkward years. So yeah. Okay, so I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod. Tyler, what are we doing next week? Cam, it's been uh, seven years in the making, maybe even <laughs> closer to eight years in the making, but we're finally going back to uh, Star Trek's biggest WTF moments, uh, part two. Uh, we've had enough new Trek where I think we've got a lot more stuff. It was one of my favorite episodes that we ever did when we discussed uh, the biggest WTF moments in Star Trek. Uh, now we're going to be combing through... Um, you know, mostly I would say the uh, the new Trek era, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, we'll we'll dig up the uh, the previous episode 
and you folks can listen to it. It, it is a hoot to talk about, um, especially uh, that first one we're talking about, like Salamander Babies. We're talking about uh, Wayun and Dakot sleeping with, or sorry, not Wayun. Uh, <laughs> I was like, Kai wait, Win. what? Is this your fan fiction? <laughs> My slash fiction? Yeah. yeah. It's uh, Wind and Dakot sleeping with each other. We had yeah. a lot of fun uh, discussing uh, that sort of stuff. So we're following it up almost a decade later with uh, Biggest WTF Moments Part 2. Um, I think it's a little bit depressing that you said that's one of your favorite episodes and it was like episode seven <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> we hit it out of the ballpark early, man. Uh, uh, what can I say? Okay. You can, of course, also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam. B is in Vengeance of Nick Lacarno Smith. You can find me at Reportin. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N-N as in the Nova Fleet. Uh, kind of sucks, doesn't it? It does indeed. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Your five lines were, who is Stacey Abrams? Who is Stacey Abrams? Who is Stacey Abrams? (laughs)